great promise that is. Well, it is a privilege to be with all of you today. It certainly is. What a wonderful musical number there by the Webb family. You know, I'd heard that the Webbs were considering leaving, but if they would stay, they might throw in Parker and Hannah, so maybe it worked out okay. <laughs> no, what a great job. They, uh, we're, we're glad to know them and, and have seen their testimony uh, over the years. You know, it's always interesting to see somebody who lives out their faith, not just for a moment on the scene, but consistently year after year to honor the Lord. Uh, my wife is here with me today, uh, Kelly. Kelly, stand up real quick and say hello, everybody, if you would. Thank you. <laughs> Kelly is a family nurse practitioner over at Wake Forest Baptist Medical Center for years. She flew on the air care helicopter program there. So if you ever met her during her work day, you weren't having your best day. I can tell you that. <laughs> Uh, she really has a better resume than I do, so if she ever primaried me, I would be in trouble. We, we know that. So, a uh, quick intro, my background, I came to uh, North Carolina in 1991, uh, the oldest of three boys in a Baptist preacher's home, and uh, drove into town, uh, I guess, with about $600 in my front pocket, uh, not getting into all that, but God just guiding and directing. One day, speaking of my dear wife, a gentleman came into our business. And I looked at him and I said, either he's a pastor or an insurance salesman. It's the only two profiles I get mixed up. I'm just teasing with you. So, uh, but, uh, but I, I looked and um, he came over to me and he says, well, you got to come to my church sometime. And I said, well, I've been visiting over here. I'd been in, in Winston-Salem for a few months there. So lo and behold, he, he badgered me enough to agree to, to show up. That Sunday morning, I, I, I went out looking for his church. I got, to get, got lost a little bit on the south town. I'd, it was Peters Creek Parkway 109. I couldn't remember what he said. So I pull into this church called Grace Baptist over there uh, on the south part of Winston-Salem. And of course, being in the Baptist church, I had to wait till the music start because I know how we, you know, how we move quick. Uh, so I slid in there and I see this blonde sitting on the second row. Now I have no recollection of what her daddy was preaching about that morning, but it was worth coming back the next Sunday and weaseling my way over for Sunday lunch. And 28 years we've been married and God's been good to us. And I love you very much, Kelly. Absolutely. So a few years into my mid-20s, worked in business and finance. And then God began to lead us uh, into something that I swore I would never do. And that would be to follow my father's footsteps as a pastor. I wanted no part of it because I know that it takes a supernatural calling not only to deal with all the different things you and your family, but to carry the weight of hundreds and sometimes thousands of people. So I was content to pursue my life, but we knew that uh, with, with great Christian families, that's not something you could run from. So we surrendered our lives and pursued ministry, went back to school and uh, became a pastor for 16 years, served as a worship pastor, an executive pastor, also a senior pastor, and just a wonderful experience until about seven seven and a half years ago, God began to work in our lives to go a different direction. Just as sure as the call was to transition from the business world to the ministry world, I felt compelled to do something about where our country was headed. We answered that call without going into all that. God provided a wonderful opportunity for us to be elected to the United States Congress. Uh, in our first term, we were able to uh, serve as the chairman of the Republican Study Committee. And sometimes People have asked me, uh, Mark, how did you hit the ground running so quickly? Now, what you know and I know that they didn't know is that if you can survive a Baptist business meeting, you can pretty much work with, with, with Nancy, well, maybe not her, but mo most people we could, we could work with. But, 
But indeed, we, if you think about this in our country, and, and, and having the last six years serving in the bowels in the United States Congress, I've seen this, I still see the scriptures etched in the different marbles around the place. And when people tell me that we were not founded on Judeo-Christian principles, the evidence is still there. I keep waiting for somebody to come in and try to sandblast some of the stuff and some of our history away like they're doing in our education arena, but I'm not going to go there today. I'm going to stay focused on what we are here today, and that is to make sure that we're hearing from the Lord this morning. But we are a blessed country. We have many things to celebrate today. We can walk away today without having to choose uh, of simply saying, oh, what a nation, and oh, what a Savior, we can say, oh, what a nation that's been blessed by our God, that has been blessed by our Savior, and we don't have to be ashamed of that this morning. That is what we have to be thankful for today. You know, I, I look back and think of the different founding fathers and studying some of that, some of you guys are, are wonderful historians. Our first Supreme Court Justice, John Jay, I always like to reflect what he said when he says providence has given to our people the choice of their rulers. And it is the duty as well as the privilege and interest of our Christian nation to select and prefer Christians for their rulers. National prosperity can neither be obtained nor preserved without the favor of providence. That is still true today. We cannot obtain or retain the favor unless it comes to God Almighty and His blessing upon us. Reagan wrote this, Ronald Reagan wrote, I don't believe the answer rests with government. No one can legislate morality. What we need is a spiritual awakening and return to the morals of a Christian society. You know, if you think about that, historically, as well as biblically, all great movements, all things that ever happened that began to really shape us and head the right direction, it didn't come out of Raleigh, it didn't come out of Washington, D.C., it came from God's people Amen. coming together with revival breaking out, whether it was the great awakening or other aspects. That is how God began to bring about change in this country. Right now, what we're facing in the 21st century, this is no longer about so much political Republicans and Democrats. This is spiritual warfare. We are facing evil like no other time in our country. And the thing that has changed in the last decade or two as opposed to having to go look for it or look beyond layers or sneak across the back door or in the back door, what we're seeing is now it's in your face, try and stop us. So what is our role as believers? What is it when we wrestle with this spiritual warfare, we see it play out? I remember the darkest night that I remember in the last six years in the U.S. Congress was specifically one night, one night that was late. We were going back and forth, literally debating uh, 9, 30, 10, 10, 30, the debate went on to the evening, whether a baby should be allowed to live if it somehow survived a botched abortion. Think, let, let it resonate there for a second, that in America, that we would even have to try and pass a law that would protect a baby if it survived a botched abortion. That makes me sad to think that we have to battle such a position. We went late into the night, back and forth, and I'm not here to be partisan, but at the end of the night, only three from the other side of the aisle voted that a baby should be allowed to live. I, I was so moved, I went back to my office about 11, 11.30 that night, and I wrote a thank you card to those three individuals that were willing to show the courage to stand up, not, not even from a pro-life, just from a human perspective. All three were attempted to be taken out, two were taken out, only one of those members survived at this point. And that's what we're battling. So, so my question today is where I wanna go out of the scriptures today, is what, what can we do? 
what is our role? And I'd like to take our text, if I could please, out of Matthew chapter 16, verses 24 and 25. Matthew chapter 16, verse 24 and 25. Jesus Christ himself gives us very clear directions of what we are called to do first and foremost above anything else. And I believe we want to take about 20, 25 minutes this morning to unpack specifically what can we do as believers when it comes to following Christ. Well, I believe it's very clear in verse 24, Matthew chapter 16, verse 24, the Bible says this, then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Forever, for whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Father God, we come to you right now this morning. May, may you not only bless the reading here, but that may the Holy Spirit be free to work through all of us. Lord, if there's anything in our lives, may you bring it to our attention that we could be better servants of you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Looking at that second verse reminds me, the last six years we've had opportunity to travel in many different countries, uh, be there in the demilitarization zone between North Korea and South Korea, uh, Eastern Europe, sit down with kings and parliaments and all the different things. But nowhere have I ever been more moved or impressed than standing there in Normandy, France, looking at that hill where our young men came to that beach. Some of you remember there on that June 6, 1944, from understanding and reading about history, the weather that day, Eisenhower almost called it off there. He was stationed there in, in, in England. He almost called it off because the weather was going to be so bad. The weather actually was bad that day. Uh, air cover missed their drops. So what you had left remaining was these young men being put in what they called Higgins boats, had no roof, no tops. You've seen the pictures or even some of the video. 25 to 30 at a time, they would become dehydrated. They would vomit all over each other. And by the time that gate in the back opened, they literally would see body parts floating across the water there. And, I, and I, I remember looking at that and, and reading and seeing there and being there on that ground, just the just sacredness of it. And, and the curator said something that I have never forgotten. He said, this battle wasn't won by great military wisdom. It wasn't won by strategic plans or all the different things you would think go, that goes into it. He said, this battle was won by 18 and 19 year old young men that just kept running up wave after wave after wave to dig out the Germans there in France. And I, and I think about that in verse 25, not to the full context, but for whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it from a spiritual context. But in verse 24, we have three clear distinctions of specifically what we are called to do. Now, I used to think even as a pastor sometimes, all three of those were kind of one package, but the more that I studied it, the more I realized that those are three separate things that we are basically told to, 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 in being a disciple. Number one, deny yourself. Number two, take up your cross. And then three, follow me. People say, well, isn't that all together? Not necessarily. You remember the rich young ruler tried to tell Jesus he had done all these other things. And Jesus said, well, the ultimate is sell what you have and follow me. He says, like, I can't go that far with it. My, my goal today is for us to evaluate where we are in this scale. I want to start with the first one, denying yourselves. Who woke up this morning and your first instinct was, man, I'm going to look for a way to deny myself today. Wasn't me. 
You know, I'm, I'm already thinking about, man, I'm, do I have time to run by and get that Egg McMuffin from McDonald's? Or, or what, you know, I, immediately we start thinking about how we appease the flesh. We don't instinctively think about, but Jesus says right here, first step, to deny yourself. What does that mean, basically? I think, I think ultimately it means to surrender our will, to, de- to deny ourselves. Jesus was a great model of this in the Garden of Gethsemane when he began to pray, not my will, but yours be done, Lord, even though he had certainly the foreknowledge of what was ahead and what was to come. But denying ourselves, are we at a place where we are walking with the Lord enough that we can say, I'm denying myself, I'm surrendering our will? Now, fortunately, I just laid my smartphone there on the front, but, but how many of us uh, don't take any time uh, to deny ourselves because we're always scrolling, looking at your Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. There, the point is there's noise, 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 noise. There's no downtime. There's no focus on denying ourselves because we're always filling it with something. And, and sometimes the Holy Spirit is trying to cut through there, but we never find the time to deny ourselves because we're always filling it with something. I wonder sometimes how much do we miss God's best or something that we're to engage, be involved, a word of encouragement, a word of witness to somebody, only because we've not reached that place where we're willing to surrender back that time to the Lord. One of the best ways that I believe we deny ourselves is through prayer and fasting. Do we have a time? Do we do that? I mean, there's nothing more than denying yourself than skipping a meal and saying, you know what? I'm just going to spend that time fellowshipping with the Lord. I'm not talking about you go through a litany test of all the different prayers. Some of that's good. But just having that conversation, Lord, what are you wanting me to do today or, or I've got this burden weighing on my heart. You know, sometimes, and I'm guilty of it in the morning and the evening, we'll go through the thing for Lord, pray, amen, let's go. Uh, but do we spend the time denying ourselves that we're just looking for that fellowship with the Lord? Denying yourself, that's, it's, it's pretty obvious that that's something that's very important to Jesus to be able to put out some of the distractions, but not only to deny yourself, the second one, <laughs> just when you think, you can't okay, deny myself, I've got to go, then he says, take up your cross. Well, if you thought denying yourself was, from a human perspective, something that you, re- you would want to repel against, how about taking up your cross? Here's the interesting thing. If we went down each row up to the balcony, and here, here's the thing. God has a cross for every one of us as believers. What, is it, what does yours look like? Pause there for a minute. If I was to ask you, we all stood up, what would be the cross that you're carrying? Think about it. It could be a wayward adult child. It could be a bad relationship, maybe something financial. What is it in your life that God says, I'm going to ask you to carry this? Because here's here's the unique part. When you think about a cross, it wasn't just the pain and the suffering. Historically, carrying a cross was something sometimes embarrassing. I mean, think about the humiliation. Made himself a form of a servant, the Bible talks about. What, what is the cross that we're carrying? And, and I get it. You're probably saying, well, this is a depressing message. No, I'm going somewhere. Okay. Matthew 11:30 says, hey, my yoke is easy and my burden's light. I'm going to square those things, but I want to think about this just for a second. What is the cross you're carrying? Because, you know, there's the old sports adage, no pain, no gain. Sometimes, there's something about refining us that we come forth as gold when we're willing to embrace the cross where the world for the first time can see us as different. See, anybody can praise God on the mountain, right? Any, when, it's, when it's all right, we're all together high-fiving, uh, you know, or the elbow bumps that we do now, I guess. I, I still like to high-five. But, but all the different things that we're encountering there, do we even think about what is it sometimes temporary, 
Listen, sometimes I have seen this, and I've been amazed as a pastor sometimes visiting the hospital room with, with somebody who's carrying a disease their entire life. Maybe it's a child that, that, with special needs that every day that you go to bed, every morning that you wake up, that's, that's something that you're carrying. And to see the blessings sometimes that come out of that, to see the, the, unique, the uniqueness of a family that loves at a different level, that God has entrusted something like that. What, what, is, what is the cross that the world will look at you and say, well, boy, they're carrying, they're walking through something, but they're still giving Jesus the praise, right? Well, over my years in, in time as a minister, growing up as a pastor's kid as well, I think, I'm convinced that the biggest cross to carry in the church is the cross of forgiveness. I want you to think about that for a minute. I have seen more families, I've, I've seen funerals where one family is sitting on this side and the other because something two generations ago that somebody said, they didn't remember exactly how they said it, but it was enough to split a family. Think about that. How many times does the enemy get a foothold in in interrupting God's very best for our lives because we're carrying something that somebody did that was unfair, unjust, or dare I even say ungodly, right? I'm, I'm telling you from a human perspective, you have, you have the rationale to say this was wrong. I'm not saying whether it was wrong or not. But it's interesting that Paul captures this in Philippians when he talks about forgetting those things which are behind, I press on. Why is he pressing on? He's got a higher calling, the mark, the prize of Jesus Christ. And the interesting thing that he mentions there or doesn't mention, he doesn't say whether it's good or bad. He just says, keep moving forward. You know, I, I think about this sometimes. I was able to play some sports in high school. Then I got to college and realized how good everybody else was. And it's okay. Uh, next career change. Uh, but I, I was able to play quarterback in high school. And uh, in, in playing that, we had um, we, we small school. I probably wouldn't have made the team at a large school. But we ended up winning a championship, uh, which was 30-something years ago, I think. Uh, but... Uh, but sometimes I'll go back there in the panhandle, a little town, Milton, right outside Pensacola that I, that I, that I grew up in. And, and some of those guys, that's, that was their peak. That was their highlight. 1984, remember we won that national? Yeah, I remember that. You did that. Yeah, we got the And of course, it's always good to reflect and remember. But don't get stuck there. Whether it's a great win, whether it's a great battle. But let me remind you, do not let... If something that's been done or something that's been said, do not let the enemy get a stronghold there because his entire attempt is to distract and sometimes destroy you. you remember Kelly Clarkson had that song maybe 10 years ago, said, what does it kill you makes you... Okay, some of you listen to that stuff. I caught you. That was a trap. <laughs> no, the, uh, uh, I'm just teasing with you. So, uh, but I thought about that song. Well, maybe, maybe not. What does it kill you can make you better, but it can also make you bitter. The amazing thing is that's where God presents us a choice. You know, carrying that cross, something that happened to us, is it make you angry, bitter? Or were you able to find a way to eventually just say, Lord, I'm giving this back to you? Think about that. Nothing more than I've seen than the act of forgiveness in the church, because here's the thing. Speaking of my, I thought about this, speaking of the football days, there used to be a drill called bull in the ring. It's probably not politically correct to do that anymore, right? So, and I didn't understand why the coach uh, had the quarterback over here with these big greasy linemen in the first place, right? So, but, but he would put us in a circle and, and uh, you would have the ball, right? You'd hold the football and he would, uh, he would call number 42. 
so you know, you know how you get your feet center of gravity if you're throwing a punch or hitting a ball, whatever it might be. So you would turn and, and you would just smack number 42. Number, okay, number 88. Oh, okay, that's a wide receiver, so we'll get on that one. So, and, but every now and then he would call 60 or 62 or 70. And I would think in my recollection that number 70 or 72, whatever he called, was to my right. But it was actually to my left. And before I could get quite turned around and center my gravity, it was right in the ear hole. And you would kind of ring a little bit. <laughs> Evidently, you'd see two or three of them for a while. They'd come back. Uh, but, the, but the point is this. Here's the point, and it's probably a, a, a bad example of it, but when we're anticipating the wiles of the devil, like Ephesians 6, we get the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness. We're, we're blocking. I mean, we're good to go. But it's when we're hit from inside the camp. Because here's the thing. We don't have that center of gravity when it blindsides us. What, what do we do then? When it takes our wind, knocks us off our feet over something that was wrong that somebody did to us, how do we respond to that? We carry in that day after day, sometimes year after year, or we have we been able to find a way, said, Lord, not only am I going to deny myself, but I'm, I'm going to carry this cross and I'm going to let you somehow get the glory in all of it. That's what he's calling us in order to be a disciple for the world, for this country who needs it desperately. What do they see? Because we talk a lot about Christianity and the history of this country, but what are they seeing in the present tense right now when it comes to, to living out the life? Mark Hall captured this in a great song called Praise You in the Storm. When there's a line there, it says, I say amen, but it's still raining. In other words, like, all right, God, I, I got the lesson here. Uh, time for a little sunshine, clear this stuff out. What, where's our walk with that when it comes to it? Well, deny yourself, take up your cross. And then this third one, you know, here's the thing. I love the third point here because sometimes uh, we get to the first two and sometimes we can begin to see a little more clearly on the follow Jesus, but it's still an action step that is required by all of us. Because sometimes we get that place and God said, okay, follow me here. And we go, oh, remember Moses? Yeah, Lord, I'm not, I can't articulate. I'm not a good speaker. You need to find somebody else to do that. How many times in our life has there been something? Well, let me put it this way. How many times in our life do we put margins on what God wants to do in our life, right? Happens all the time. I, I got particularly chuckled two years ago, two and a half years ago, I was, uh, had the opportunity to be named ranking member on intelligence and counterterrorism on one of our subcommittees for committee on Homeland Security. And the, our first meeting, I'm looking at all the, the dossiers and the, and the resumes down the line. There's six or seven of us before we go into a classified hearing. You know, got a couple of big Ivy League graduates. So you go to the list. The runt and the litter had, um, had an undergraduate at Notre Dame and law school at SMU. And then they get to me. All right? My theology degree from Piedmont Baptist College. I was like, okay, <laughs> what's wrong with this picture, right? But, but the point is this, is when we trust the Lord, to get to that place that we're following him, that we've made that commitment, God pushes those limitations because the world would tell us, you didn't go to the right school, you don't have the right money, you don't have the right education, the pedigree, you didn't come. Do you think God pays attention to that? Yeah. Not, not a bit. And sometimes God get, puts you in the right moment at the right time that you never saw coming. I, I think it's been about three or four years ago, I got a call from the White House one night and uh, President Trump wanted to invite six or seven of the religious guys uh, over for dinner. Uh, and I did have that reputation, I guess. I, I guess that's good, right? Uh, myself and Senator James Langford, we were co-chair of the prayer caucus. It's about, uh, I didn't intend to get into this, but, but on Mondays when you fly in Monday afternoon, 
uh, you have your first vote about 6.30, and then there's about a 30 or 35-minute window gap. Well, there's about 15 or 20 members of Congress or believers that gather together in that moment to pray and seek God's guidance and direction for the week there. So uh, I guess he knew that I, I, I was leading that uh, as the co-chair. So he invited us over, and uh, we began to talk about the different world religions and things. And the President Trump was talking about uh, he had a conversation he had recently had with the Pope about the concern of the rise of radical Islamic fundamentalists in, in Europe, and certainly validated in that. And I kind of waited for a moment there, and I, and I finally said, well, Mr. President, you see, that's the difference between uh, all other world religions and Christianity. And he said, what's that mock in his New York accent? Um, and I said, well, Mr. President, with all other world religions, it requires you to do something. I said, but in Christianity, it's what we call the atonement. It's the blood of Jesus Christ that's paid the way on the cross of Calvary for your sin and for my sin. And for about two or three minutes, I'm just like, okay, I'm just going to drop it on him. And I certainly remember he was, the way he looked at me and just trying to wrap his mind around transactional. And a couple hours later, I remember walking out of the White House that night and uh, waiting for staff to come pick me up there on the corner of Pennsylvania Avenue. But thinking about this. I mean, I'm just a small-town Baptist preacher's kid who just got to share the gospel with the President of the United States of America. Now, I say this only to say this. Look, I'm, Kelly and I, we, we're a couple of preacher's kids. We don't come from a whole lot. We're just everyday people. But the point is this, in being, and I've got a lot of room to grow, but being a disciple of Christ, denying yourselves, taking up your cross, and being willing to follow Jesus even when it doesn't make sense on paper. See, that's, ultimately, that's where he gets the glory in all of this. But so many times we, we put parameters. I, I was privileged to, uh, I, I, I think, of maybe be the only elected uh, person from the GOP community that got the chance to give the commencement address at one of our state's historical black colleges and universities. And one of the things I talk about was Psalms 139. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. God knew you when you were in your mother's womb. Don't let some group put a ceiling on God's very best for your life because we do that ourselves sometimes. We look at ourselves or we listen to what other people tell us and say, these are your limitations. But with man, it's impossible. But we know and we've been told that with God, all things are possible, right? That's the kind of journey that we want to be able to pursue. And let me, let me wrap it up with this, uh, being sensitive to time there. Any chance that I get to honor my mom and dad, specifically my dad, who's, I think, still shucking the corn, preaching at, at, at an independent Baptist church, not uh, maybe 40, 50 miles from here. But the godly example they lived out. And, and I think of him when I think of this passage of Scripture, uh, so much of denying yourself, taking up your cross, and following Jesus. As a 14-year-old young man, 13 or 14-year-old man, you, you heard me talk about two younger brothers. One was 12 and one was 10. And... and we were either, most of the time, either at church or on the ball field. Every now and then we'd come home from school, maybe be off season and wouldn't have a baseball practice or something. So two hours worth of homework, mom said, and then after that you could go play in the backyard. Well, one of the things that we started doing is we all had, you know, those little daisy BB guns and things. So we thought, hey, let's put on our camouflage on and we'll have kind of our own little war games in the backyard. And I will tell you, there was nothing more exhilarating than shooting your 12-year-old little brother in the back of the leg. <laughs> Hearing him squeal, there was just some, that's, I, maybe that's the flesh. I still find the fulfillment from that, right? No, but, uh, but, 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 but mom would often get on us there, and she would say, you better not do that because you might put. 
You guys grew up like I did, right? <laughs> so one afternoon, we're out there playing in the backyard, big fence backyard. So it was just all, you know, always, always outside doing something. I think we need more of that these days. But, but, but my, my younger brothers were shooting back at me. They were two of them against me. And, and, and I shot back, uh, and we always shot low because just obviously, even at that age, but by the time I pulled the trigger on the, in the, in that Daisy BB, and you could almost shoot so slow, you could almost see the, the projection of it. Uh, my middle brother jumped behind a pile of pine straw, or, and 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 I and that was about the direction that I shot. And it seemed like shot. It seemed like no sooner that I'd pulled the trigger that I heard this blood curdling scream. And up from that pine straw, my my middle brother comes running at me. He's got his hand over his eye, and I'm running to him, and I yank his hand down, and I look into his eye, and it's so full of blood, it's almost black crimson, right? We get him to the local hospital there in Milton, Florida. They said, there's nothing we can do about this. We've got to get him to the University of West Florida Hospital there, one county over across the water there in Pensacola, Florida. We got him there. We finally tracked down dad who was visiting or with some people at a funeral. Got everybody assembled. The doctor came in. I remember, telling, I remember him telling my mom and dad, he said, this doesn't look good. You see, not only has the one eye been damaged, but there's only one optic nerve, and we think it's been damaged, so... He could be blind, not just in one, but in two eyes. I remember hearing that as a 14-year-old, and at 52, nearly 38 years later, still the most sobering thing I'd ever heard at that moment. Talked for a little bit, and the decision was made. We would, my dad and I would go back home, get some things, and we would spend the night in the hospital with my mom and my youngest brother there. So we're driving across that Interstate 10 bridge from Scambia to Santa Rosa County, and there's an old rest area there that doesn't exist anymore, but my dad, my father pulled into there. I could see a tear coming out of his corner of his eye. I certainly wasn't going to sit in the front seat. I'd cowered in the back waiting for the wrath that I was deserving of so much. But he began to pray and he said, Father God, we have served you faithfully. And because of that, with great confidence, I come to you asking you to Put your hand of healing on clay. I don't even know how to describe all the things that might need to happen, but I'm asking that if you would, just touch his body today. And then he paused. His voice began to quiver. He said, but if not, if it means that we can serve you more faithfully with a blind child, if it means more people will know about Jesus with a son that's disabled that we will care for for the rest of his life. Lord, if that's what you called us to do, then we surrender our will and we give it back to you. He put that little Toyota Tercel back in first little five speed and off we went. Came back that night, spent the night. The next morning, the doctor came in, began to take the bandages off of Clay's eyes and looked at my dad and looked back at Clay's eye. He finally said, sir, to my father, he said, you must be those praying kind of people. And my dad said, as a matter of fact, we are. He said, well, he says, I don't know that I could explain all of this, but last night that eye was a shattered window pane. It's fused back together and your son should have 20-20 vision in both eyes. Amen. Now, <clears throat> I'm not telling you that's my faith level. That's my daddy's faith. But, but the point is this today. In an America, it needs to see the difference between our lives. I mean, I'm, I'm a proud flag-waving American and be the first in line to defend and stand up for. But America needs to see something different about us. The willingness to be a disciple of Christ, to deny ourselves, 
to take up that cross and follow Jesus. If we are able to do such, we can take on the spiritual warfare that is so much needed. Let's pray together today. Father God, we're grateful for the opportunity to look into your word. It is the true hope. Lord, we're told all around us that hope can be found in this or that, Lord, but we know from the history and the annals of time, from the very creation, that our grounding, that our faith, Lord, is in a, a Messiah that came to earth, born of a virgin, Lord, resurrected, died on a cross. Lord, we, we just lay it out again today, reflecting. Lord, we're, we're also grateful for a nation that you birthed out of hardship, out of, out of men that were willing to pledge their lives, their fortunes, and their sacred honor. Lord, we've gotten comfortable the last 220-something years. Lord, I would ask right now, starting with me, Lord, that we would just begin to renew our commitment first and foremost to you, Lord. Because if it's right there, everything else will be right. It'll be right in our homes. It'll be right in our relationships. It'll be right in our country. Lord, the world needs to see Jesus. May they be able to see that in all of us. As we're reminded today, to make the decision, to deny ourselves, to take up that cross and to follow you. We pray this in the name of Jesus.